So I just want to, first of all, Dame Stephanie is one of my heroes uh, and she's one of my inspirations. And I found out about her when I was working for Founders for Schools and helping to bring entrepreneurs into schools to encourage um, young students to become entrepreneurs. Um, and I wrote a little article that never got published a couple of years ago. So I just thought I'd read the intro from that because as I was reading it last night, everything I said in it was very true then and it's very true now. So if you don't know Dame Stephanie, her story is nothing short of inspirational. As a child, she arrived in the UK on the kinder transport during World War II. Having survived the Nazis, Dame Stephanie committed at a young age to living a life worth saving. Just imagine that. Imagine being a child and having that awareness of the, the, uh, the importance of and the gravitas of, of life. Um, I just I look at my children and I think they don't they don't have that concept yet. They didn't have to go through what she had to go through. Nearly seven decades on, a successful entrepreneur and celebrated philanthropist Steve, as she's commonly referred to by friends and colleagues, is a most formidable woman, and you will see that today. Her journey as an entrepreneur started at the age of 29 with six pounds and a dining table that doubled as an office. She set up an all-female computer programming company, which offered flexible work from home to women with a maths background. While this might not sound like such a crazy idea in 2022, in 1962, it was unheard of. Women at that time couldn't even open a bank account without their husband's signature and were regularly in fear of being sexually assaulted if working alone with a man out um, or out past 6 p.m. in the evening. So I just uh, I just have to say thank you, Dame Stephanie, for your shirt, for your your story, for your bravery, for your courageousness, um, uh, for your courage. And, uh, and thank you for being here today at the book club. Um, and it's going to go on the podcast. So I, um, I know the listeners are going to appreciate this conversation as well. Don't you think, though, that the empowerment of women generally, um, I mean, I don't follow football in any way, but I realized that the win that the uh, lionesses had um, on Saturday, or was it Sunday, um, is part of the empowerment of women. Suddenly girls can learn something that they've always wanted to do or some have wanted to do. And it's all part, we build on each other's strengths. Absolutely. Well, and I remember listening to Alex um, speak about, uh, afterwards she was saying they were begging uh, stadiums to take women's games. Yes. And she said, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's too late. You missed the boat. <laughs> they filled Wembley. It was a record-breaking um uh, match. It was incredible. I mean, and I, as someone who coaches my daughter's football team, you know, it was just all the girls were watching it. They were all messaging each other on WhatsApp and, you know, they were all excited about what was going on and it was absolutely thrilling. And it was a real exciting game of football. So. But isn't it sad in a way that in 2022, that should be such a big event, which mm. is very late. You know, we've had the vote for a long time we have been um, equal pay for equal work uh, for considerable period now um, and the, the whole way in which the the feminization of management the way in which um, businesses are run much more flexibly uh, much more um, lifestyle um, changing changing lifestyle um, 
work-life balance, all these are different and they're, they're good for women. And we have to go on. I, I do believe in the sisterhood of women um, and um, we do have to move on and help younger people move on, do it again, take it for granted, move on, move on. Well, I remember when we had dinner a couple of years ago, one of the things that you were so surprised by was how long it is taking for this gender parity thing to happen. It was, you know, you, you just said, I can't believe what, what shocked me was I felt like we made so much progress and you were sitting there going, you know, we haven't made as much progress as you think we've made. Well, I mean, there's still parts of life today that are still pretty unfair and unbalanced, um, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Think we're possible. getting there. Well, let's talk about your amazing book, Let It Go. Can you tell me a little bit more about the meaning behind the title? Well, there is a pun on the, the it. I was, I was being terribly, terribly clever and saying there's the pun on the information technology uh, and let it go. Um, I, I look at it now and I think I wouldn't do that today because I, it, it takes away from the other meaning of let it go, which is a Buddhist principle. Um, of making sure that the rancor of the past doesn't spoil the, the present or the future. And that really applies very much to me. I did have a traumatic childhood. Um, and for a long time, I, my, I was damaged by that. Um, but in fact, I've, I've let it go now. I'm now a very happy and contented person. I hope that comes over. Um, and, and the concept of letting it go pervades my life. I, I've let my wealth go. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm not in penury now, uh, but I have given most of my wealth away. Um, I've uh, um, let my company go. I've set up three or four charities, all of which are now freestanding, by which I mean managerially and fin financially um, independent of me, so that um, they are they're in their own right. They're no longer Steve's little company, Steve's charity. And I, I, I look at their progress uh, from afar. And I, I'm, I'm proud of that ability to, to let it go. Entrepreneurs have great difficulty in letting it go because you start off, it's just you. Um, and then uh, it's your company. And if you're not careful, it stays as your company, whereas really what needs to become an organization in its own right. Um, and generally I have managed that succession um, well, uh, if a bit late, but I have managed succession um, and left my company, it's now 30 years ago, uh, which is why I'm so delighted that um, this month we're having a, a reunion of the company. This is some 80 people after uh, many, many years uh, are coming to join a reunion uh, to, to celebrate 60 years since freelance program has started. And it was, it's the second, the other, the second Jubilee happening this year. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> no, I love that. And actually what I loved about your book when I read it was um, the authenticity around the challenges you had letting the business go at different points. And, you know, you talked about some of the challenges you had with different people and letting it go at different, you know, to, at different points. So do you want to touch on that a little bit more on and how you overcame some of those challenges of letting it go? I think the quality of the writing is very largely due to my co-author, um, co um, Richard Asquith, um, who uh, is a journalist, and I think he, he knocked my D 
dictation uh, into some sort of shape. The words very much are, are definitely mine. I tried to speak honestly. I thought, in fact, all memoirs or autobiographies uh, were honest, but I realized from reading more of them um, that they, they put up a, a facade, whereas I really spoke about the, the tragedy of my son's autism, and uh, it's not politically correct to call it a tragedy, but it was as far as I was concerned. Um, the difficulties I had in, in, in le letting go uh, of the company that took several years and, and painful years. Um, the difficulties I had with my birth family because I was brought up by foster parents. And so the relationship with my birth family was, was really uh, ruined and I never bonded with them again. So there are all sorts of things that I talk openly about. Um, I distinguish between a memoir and an autobiography in that an autobiography might sort of say, on, on, on Thursday, I, I, I went to Hampstead Heath and, and met so-and-so and it was raining and very factual. Or I went to Buckingham Palace and got my OBE. But these are not really, the, they're important things in, in, in life, but they're not... The, the personal things, the personal things is how do you feel about things? How, how what have you learned? Um, how, how, how different are you today from how you were yesterday? Where are you intending to go? Is, is your target changing? These are the important things that come out in a memoir. Um, and I have been told it's a sort of memoir that it's difficult to put put down people say they read it at one sitting I couldn't put it down I definitely I did both things. I was very lucky because I got the very first version of audible and I got to listen to you read your own story which was extraordinary uh and then I also so I did that sort of in one sitting and then I also devoured the book in one sitting I think you know we have so many women at Tech Pixies who have who come from neurodiverse backgrounds or who have children from neurodiverse backgrounds or the combination. So we have women who have neurodiversity with children who have neurodiversity. And that's been an interesting connection that a lot of them have had with your story. Um, and it's given them this um, hope that it's possible to build a business and also, uh, you know, live in a family with neurodiversity. One of the uh, interesting parts in the book that really struck me was when you yourself had to go to the hospital, um, having just completely uh, exhausted, uh, you know, everything that was being exhausted from everything. I mean, let's talk about how women are balancing so much, but how it's even that much more intense when you've got a child with neurodiversity. I think we all expect so much of ourselves. Um, I'm never satisfied with my own performance on something. I always want to do better this week than I did last week. Um, the sensitivity of the nuances of life are, 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 are so important. What happens in a family? What, what happens to the relationships? Um, the, um, the way in which uh, we address problems. And so many women seem to be uh, unsure of their own, uh, in, lack, lack confidence in their own ability. Um, I mean, the young people... Um, in particular, I noticed they, they look so confident and, and sure of themselves. But as soon as you start talking with any of them uh, in any depth, it seems to be quite common 
um, that they are unsure, that they have the imposter syndrome, um, that they're really not quite sure uh, where they want to go. And that life is short um, and we need not to, you know, we need to savor each moment, each day um, and really uh, make the most of the time that's given to us. I try to live each day as if it's my last. Um, it's something that I learned very early on. Um, and it, it, again, it's something like let it go. My, my husband's dead now, but if, if we had a disagreement, we made very sure that it was always cleared up that day. We didn't sleep on it and wake up the next morning, cross with each other. Um, and th that sort of honesty of approach, uh, I think is important to um, what I consider to be a good life. And we all want to be good people. It's e easy for some, uh, it's more difficult for others. Um, I think a neurodiverse Diversity brings up all sorts of issues um, about values, about relationships, about quality, um, and how we think of each other and how we care for each other. Are we kind? Um, kindness is one of the things that in management is hardly ever mentioned. And yet it's so important to be kind to each other, kind to yourself. You know, we drive ourselves. I mean, I drove myself for so long. I was not superwoman, but I really was trying to do too much. And eventually, of course, I broke down. I was not superwoman. And I finished up in hospital and was off work for a year um, with the good old-fashioned nervous breakdown. And these things um, mark you for life and give you uh, an understanding that... Um, not everyone is as strong as you feel today. Um, not everyone is strong every day. Uh, we vary, we have good days and bad days. One of the things that's happening in the commercial world is that women's health issues are beginning to be considered and talked about. Um, in Asia, for example, um, it's common for women to have um, menstrual leave uh, available to them, which has to be paid back within three months. Um, so that's an understanding that people don't feel creative sometimes during their periods. There's a bigger understanding of, of menopausal problems for, for mature women. Um, there's a bigger understanding um, that... Um, if you've had a stillbirth or a miscarriage or a termination, these are, these are big family issues um, that, that affect your work. And for the first time, um, the work environment is starting to consider these female issues. And quite rightly so. Uh, it's, they're so important. And actually, I think finding that... Um, I don't like to use the word balance. And I know, I know when we discussed balance, I, I remember I asked you, did you ever find balance? It was like the last question at the stroke of midnight when we were closing up the shop. But, you know, I and you you were we kept you out way too late that night. But it was I had so many questions for you. But, you know, I, I, I felt this great relief when you said, well, I never really found this balance, because I think we try and find this balance. And 
what I've tried to do in my life, and I think the, the conversation I had with you influenced me, is to find harmony. Maybe not balance. Balance isn't the right word, but just to find harmony and, and recognize when the harmony is off and when I have to pull back from one thing in order to harmonize a little bit better with my family, et cetera. And uh, I know your husband's passed away now, but he, he was such a, an important part of your um, your ability. I, I, I was very right. fortunate in that um, I found somebody who uh, enjoyed my so-called success and at the same time retained his own personality. And we had 62 years together, which in these days is considered, um, well, I'm very proud of it anyway, 62 years of marriage. And that followed an epic courtship of six years. So we've been together a long time. I miss him terribly. But that was one of the things you said to me. Your most, the, 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 the greatest entrepreneurial success was your marriage. Like actually, because so many marriages through entrepreneurship fail for lots of reasons. But at the end of the day, that was something you were very proud of and still are. Yes. I think also entrepreneurs, we change in our own personalities, especially if we have some so-called success. Um, and that if, if you can still keep your feet on the ground, we, we didn't really change our lifestyle um, as uh, the, the business grew, because we finished up employing eight, eight and a half thousand people. Um, you know, it really was um, a, like a conventional corporation uh, in, in the end. Quite, um, qu quite astonishing. I'm enormously proud of, of, of my company. Um, and uh, I realized that the first time somebody called me an entrepreneur, I didn't know what the word meant, but it's exactly what I am. I like to start things. I like to make new things happen. Um, I like to be different. Um, I like to use my skills in, in a positive way. Um, and... I have a very low boredom threshold. I don't like to be bored. I can relate to that. <laughs> Anyone else relate to that? Um, were you always fascinated with technology? I mean, I think what is just incredible is how much of a pioneer you were, you know, not, not just as a woman, but just in technology, full stop. You were, you were and are a pioneer in that space. Uh, and you're a pioneer as well in autism research. So let's talk about this fascination with technology and how you have been able to take uh, all of this knowledge and, and wealth and turn it into something that's made the world a better place? Well, I was going to be a mathematician and I'd always wanted to be the world's greatest mathematician. But at the age of 18, I realized that this was not going to happen. I didn't have it in me um, to, 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 to be an academic and make great progress. But luckily for me, the computer industry came along and it has been so exciting. It has never, ever bored me. It has um, enlivened me. It has uh, changed the way in which I, I, I look at the world. It's taken me around the world. I've been all over the world working on, on software and, and later, latterly uh, also autism. Um, I have... Um, this wonderful ability, not ability, opportunity to work in a, in, in a field that is always changing, it's always proving, improving, um, and there is, no, there is no end point. You know, you never sort of say, well, I've done that, because there's always more to do, and it is exciting. We were talking earlier about artificial intelligence 
um, where I have made some contributions. Um, and virtual reality, which is where I would like to spend some time, but obviously I'm not going to. Um, th 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 these are such exciting fields, so different from anything that we've seen before, so different from the payroll um, projects that we started off using computers for in a commercial way. Uh, I just think we're all so fortunate to, to, li to live in the times that we do. Absolutely. Well, and I think one of the things that we try and do at Tech Pixies is inspire women in particular to overcome their fear of technology so that they can leverage it to return to work, change career, start a business. But also what we know is that once they know how to use, let's say, nine different pieces of technology, uh, it's much easier to then pick up another one and another one and another one. And we see that people who may have started out in social media management or social media consulting or strategy, their career advances as they go along. And we've got women who were in our program started in 2015, 2016. They're now working at tech companies in roles yes. within those tech companies. And they're not doing social media anymore, but that's led to other areas within tech. And that's it's been a great introduction and a great way to get into it, especially if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, and 70s, you know, to explore technology in that way. What, um, what contribution do you think women should be and can be making uh, in technology and how does uh, how does someone lean into that, especially if they are in their 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s? Uh, I mean, in a sense, the ageism that you've just shown, you know, you we, we do think of, each, of of people in terms of their age bracket. And that's unfortunate because you have bright um, entrepreneurial minds um, at, at all ages. Um, and you have others who, um, no matter what educational advance, uh, advantages that they've been given, um, still don't um, enjoy life uh, intellectually. Uh, they're doing today what they did yesterday, maybe a little bit better, but nothing new. Um, I, I do believe in the, the excitement of, of novel thinking. Um, and information technology allows us to be to move between disciplines, to move between employers, to move um, with, with our own um, aims. I mean, the sort of thing I was aiming for at 18, very different from the sort of thing that I'm aiming for today. But I still have aims. I still, there's still things that I want to do. Uh, it's my intention to, to, to do it this week, this month, this year, this century. <laughs> I love that. Well, um, there's so I want to open up some questions to people who are in the book club. And I and just while we're going to go, I'll go to the gallery so that everyone can uh, turn their cameras on and um, really get into the conversation. Uh, I would love that. And I'm sure Dame Stephanie would love that as well. Uh, are there any are there any questions that you have um, come across as you've been or that have come up for you as you've been listening to Dame Stephanie? Would you like to ask a question? Naza, go ahead. Yes. Sorry, um, just a little question. When you mentioned um, something about technology you wanted to get into, but you, you said you were not going to. Why Why is that? Sorry. It's... Oh, virtual reality. Yes, because just curiosity. I, I think I was, I was referring to uh, becoming the world's best mathematician, and I just don't have the sort of brain that can contribute 
um, to the academic world like that. I'm a very practical person who makes things happen. Um, I'm a earlier, people are divided into, you know, I'm an earlier follower. I, I, I pick up new ideas. Uh, I, I exploit them. I enjoy them. I develop them, but not to the sense of a corporate scale. Um, I don't like running things. I don't, I, I have had to do that. It's part of one's life, um, but I don't really enjoy that. Then it happened with my company and the, the more successful the company became, the less I enjoyed running it. And as I hinted before, I left it a bit late to actually get professional succession in people who could run it in a professional way and build up a management team that would take um, the, a company that started on my dining room table um, up to employ eight and a half thousand people when it was eventually acquired after 45 years. 45 years for a company's life is, is, is quite long. And I think I left it too late, not too late, not too late, but I left it late. I should have done it earlier. 45 years is absolutely extraordinary. Um, Karen, you're unmuted. Did you have a question? Yeah, um, I think Dame Stephanie just answered it. And I, I remember sort of um, coming across Dame Stephanie or Steve, as I remember being absolutely um, euphoric that a woman had started up a tech business at the time that, that Dame Stephanie had, because I've been in IT all my life and I always thought it was male dominated. And here there's this amazing woman who died. But it, the question is, is you've just mentioned about the time we should have exited, but what was the happiest time that you had in your organization? What's your happiest memory? That's a great question. I had an enormous happiness in taking the, the company into co-ownership. I got a quarter of the company owned by the staff themselves. And that took me 11 years. Uh, the, the, those were, years were quite uh, a struggle. Um, but it, when I saw that the, the company actually belonged to the people who were working in it, who were making it happen, who were making it successful, who had taken a gamble perhaps in the early days, um, that gives me enormous pleasure. And I was really the happiest, the happiest period, I think. Mm, that's a great question. Eileen, you've got your, um, you're unmuted, ask a question. Hi, um, Dane, Stephanie, lovely to meet you today. I'd like to know about how, when you were starting your autobiography, where do you start in doing um, like a life's work in plotting that down to make it into a book? Oh, well, the clever thing I did was to find a co-author who could, who could do that structuring for me. How it worked for me was that I would dictate um, as and when I felt uh, like it, um, as and uh, about what I felt I wanted to do. So sometimes I thought, oh, I, maybe I'd been thinking about my parents a bit. And, and so I talked about the early days. Uh, or I'd something had happened at work, so I talked about a period of, of, of um, uh, my company's life. Um, so pretty unstructured, which is fairly typical of entrepreneurs. We, we tend to dash about, dash off in all directions. And it was my co-author who structured it um, chronologically. Um, you, you, there's still all my words. You can, you can recognize my style there. Um, but he did uh, an enormous editing job, I think, um, to, to make it all flow. 
one of the things that you talk a lot about in the book is your son. And uh, you also talk about uh, how important it was for you to let your wealth go and and, and really invest it in changing uh, the face of autism and autism research. Can you talk about some of the projects you, well, they're massive projects that you've invested in and built up and got self-sustaining. Can you talk to us about some of those projects and uh, and the work that that you're doing in that space, in the, autis- in the autism space? Well, the first one was um, Autism at Kingwood, which is a a charity that I set up. Basically, um, it grew out of finding somewhere for my son Giles to live. He had been in hospital for 11 years and I wanted him out and the company was successful. So I had a bit of money, Um, but it was not big money um, so that I was um, financing that first charity Um, drip feeding, I think it's called. As soon as I had some money, I'd put another quarter of a million in or something like that. Um, Overall, I spent about four million on setting that charity up. That now, having been just a a home for my Giles, uh, it now supports 150 people full-time, 24-7. It does diagnosis, it does holiday holiday breaks for, for others who are not resident there. Um, it's really a, a major player um, in, in the autism field. Then in running that, for some reason, I, I went with the chief executive um, to the States and she was going to visit a school. And I sort of said, I'd love to see it. Can I come with you? And so off we went together. And this was the Hagashi School in Boston, USA. And I was so impressed by the performance of the um, pupils there that I thought, oh, well, they must be the very easy ones. They can't be the um, profoundly, the complex autism that my Giles had. Um, and, um, but no, I was told that when children came in, they were sort of wild little animals, feral children, as my son became, head banging, screaming, he had no speech or he lost his speech. And that inspired me to to do my my biggest project, which was to set up a a school prize court, um, which is now um, a worldwide renown because it takes very, very difficult children, the ones that everybody else has given up on. And the next place would be, be, if they're not with us, they'd be in hospital. And uh, is getting some wonderful results from them just by treating them as children and not as naughty children. There's no punishments. There's just a lot of praise when, when things go right. Um, there are about nearly a hundred children there, um, aged five to 25. Um, it has a lovely therapeutic atmosphere. They do follow um, the national curriculum, but if it's a geography, lesson it might be learning their way around the site for example um, because these are people with profound uh, learning disabilities and and other problems 40 percent of them uh, uh, have epilepsy there's a big overlap between epilepsy and autism which is a, a seed where some research is being done now uh, and that brings me to my third charity which is um, autistica which is medical research um, it, the sort of practical research that makes people's lives 
longer, um, healthier, um, and happier. Um, so <clears throat> one of the big projects at the moment is with, together with young epilepsy. And in fact, we're sharing some accommodation with them because we're really, there's, we can learn so much from that overlap. 40% of people with autism are epileptic, 40% um, about um, of people with epilepsy um, are autistic. And that's, um, it gives opening to the researchers to try and find out what's going on there. It's a brain disorder. What's happening in the brain? Very, very difficult. I, this to me is why women need to get into technology. It's why women need to build amazing companies because you, you ta you've taken the gift of the success of the business and solved a huge or are working towards creating a better solution uh, and a better outcome for people with autism, which is absolutely incredible. One of the things that women can do, particularly in technology, um, is uh, practice this idea of keeping the humanity in the, in the technology. The technology ha ha has to have human, the human being, the human aspect has to be embedded into that technology. And I think as women, um, we're probably better placed um, to do that. I can see a puzzled face. <laughs> no, I think very concentrated, listening to everything you're saying. What I want to do now is, uh, obviously, we have the opportunity to um, make a contribution to Autistica. Uh, Tech Pixies is going to be making a hundred pound donation uh, on everyone's behalf. Uh, but of course, if you would like to uh, make a donation as well, there's an opportunity for you to do that. Um, and before we do our draw, let me just share the slide so that everyone has uh, knows where to go, so to speak, is Dame Stephanie Shirley's other book, which I have behind me as well. You can uh, email lynn at steveshirley.com. All the proceeds will go to Autistica. I would also encourage you to uh, consider making a donation alongside Tech Pixies today to Autistica. And if you've already got a copy, well, get another one and give the copy you've got to someone that you love. And uh, that'll be a great start. Okay, does anyone have any other questions before we, um, before we wrap up the book club? First of all, I just wanna say thank you to everyone for being here. We've had a lovely morning and uh, it's been great to have this conversation and hopefully it's inspired you. Um, and, uh, but does anyone have any questions for Dame Stephanie Shirley? Yeah, Jenny and Rebecca and then Maureen. Hi, yeah. So um, you've already achieved so much, but you said there's still more you want to achieve. What else can you achieve, want to achieve? I've just started a new project um, to provide access to legal information about services that help people with autism. It's about a three-year project. And I hope to finish that off while I've still got some energy. Um, I'm just sponsoring. I mean, nowadays I do quite small projects because it's ridiculous. I can't start a 10-year project. But three months, three years, just should be able to get there. Um, I, I so enjoy an, an active uh, professional life that I don't want to stop. I just have to find things where I can really contribute um, and at the same time uh, fit into my um, 
later years, shall we say. Love that. Um, there was another question. Who, um, Maureen, I know, and Rebecca, go ahead, and then Maureen. Hi there. Um, I loved listening to you talking about um, kindness uh, in the workplace. And I'm setting up a business that's um, to help leaders create kind workplaces. And I was wondering, what are the areas that you think I should focus on? You talked about women's health and we've spoken about neurodiversity. Is there anything else that you would like to see change within the working environment as a result of leaders being more kind? I think we could get a bit more flexibility into the workplace. Uh, We still have uh, remnants of this command and control style of running a business. um, And the expectation that people, my husband spent 40 years um, with with his employment, whereas now people are changing employment within 18 months, two years, three years, very fast. And so we need to, ensure that the working patterns allow that flexibility that women and others uh, are really demanding of the workplace now. It will happen eventually because it's obvious that there's a shortage of staff, whatever you look at, whether you're looking at the National Health Service or the British Airways. Um, But we we do have to uh, make sure that the workforce is getting what it wants from the workplace and the workplace is getting good, high-quality work from the from the from us. Um, th- that sort of balance takes some time to achieve, but I'm sure kindness is part of it. You people want to stay. Kingwood Trust, for example, has a. Um, I think it was originally a play on the on the, the word Kingwood, um, but uh, they really think all the time, are we being kind? They're a kind company. They pride themselves on being kind. It's not a softy, softy thing. They're positively kind. And that is for staff, um, as well as the autistic residents. Thank you so much. Maureen, did you want to ask your question and then Harpreet? Yes. Thank you so much, Dame Shirley. It's an honor to meet you and thank you for your book. I can't wait to read it. Just wanted to ask you, obviously achieved so much success, but the times where things were difficult and you faced challenges, how did you sort of get your energy, your passion together and deal with that? Because we all face challenges, don't we? Thank you. I mean, I've certainly been at the stage when the challenges were such that I didn't know what to do and I would be rocking in my chair. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Um, I found keeping my own health good was important in getting solutions um, because once you start mental health issues uh, or physical health issues, the mental health are almost more important. Um, you're not gonna get solutions to anything. Um, As always, if you've got a problem, you need to be able to talk with people who who care for you, family, friends. Um, You you need to be professional and have read the the books on the subject. Um, It's no good starting off as an amateur. There are skills that we, basic skills that everyone has to to learn in business. Um, And, 
the satisfaction when you get it right is enormous. And so I encourage you to keep going. Don't let them get you down. Uh, we will succeed um, and just keep at it uh, until the success that you're after and your, your wishes and targets may be different to mine, uh, but the success that you're after comes your way. Thank you very much. Oh, Maureen, if I were you, I would copy that, listen to that every day. You know, here's what I love about what you just said, Dame Stephanie. You said, I sat in a chair and I said, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Do you guys hear that question? She didn't sit in a chair and go, why did this happen? What's wrong with me? Why did this happen? You know, it's such a big problem. She said, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And mental health and physical health are so important. I think you've just given us such a gift in that in that short uh, few minutes. Morin, thank you for that. That was um, a huge, huge gift. Harpreet, go ahead and ask a question. I just wanted to uh, find out, obviously, yeah, very sad that you had the nervous breakdown, but but what kind of realizations were you, did you come to after that? Because sometimes when you hit rock bottom, you're able to kind of actually see things with yes. clarity um, in terms of what needs to be done. That's a very good question. It, it did make a difference. Um, as I said, I learned I was not a superwoman. I had to come to terms with that, um, that I had in, in all sense of the world, I was failing my, my, my family. Um, I, I mean, I, I found maternal love so strong, um, far greater than sexual love or religious fervor. Um, maternal love is, is, is enormously strong. So what happened afterwards, was that I learned to be selfish. I learned to be kind to myself. And I have stayed at that position that I do watch my, the stresses that I put my body through, the stresses that I um, voluntarily undertake um, in, in my charitable work, um, because it's never easy. And with charitable activity, um, there's an enormous moral uh, incentive um, to get things right. Well, and, and for anyone who is listening to this, um, there's a great book and we interviewed the author, Adrian Herbert, the book Power Hour, um, which is just a brilliant book about giving yourself one hour a day uh, to, to really ground yourself. She's, uh, she's a um, wonderful, wonderful book. So it's sort of the female take on the miracle morning um, and with a bit more perspective on, on, you know, what it's like to be a female. So uh, that's, we interviewed her and we've got the recording. So if you're in the Joy Book Club, you have the recordings in your emails. I would go and listen to the power hour because that's a great compliment to the conversation we're just having. Um, Debbie would like to say something. Go ahead, Debbie. Hello, Dame um, Stephanie Shirley. So um, I have two children with additional needs and I did absolutely devour your book. But what I'd really like to say is that whoever we are, we need to live with wonder, awe and reverence. And the way that you have lived your life, the things that you've done has definitely um, given us all wonder, awe and reverence. And I'd really like to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. How kind, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Oh, I so agree with that. Now, 
I have a tendency of keeping Dame Stephanie Shirley as long as I possibly can <laughs> until until the uh, until the midnight strikes. But I do I want to respect her time and your time. Do you have any final comments or uh, thoughts uh, that you want to impart? Uh, any wise? Everybody's been very kind to me, for which I, I which I appreciate. But I also like to sort of say how much I admire tech fixes and what you're doing. Um, seems to me it's very important. Um, you, you, you've scaled up. It's not no, no amateur organization. Um, keep at it. And thank you for all that you do. Oh, well, that was a wonderful um, end and of inspiration for me. So thank you very much. Uh, and I can honestly say uh, I wouldn't have pushed through the hard times if I hadn't known your story. And oh. I think that's that's been a blessing for me and also for the TechPix community. So thank you for that. And um, thank you for your time today. And if you are listening to this uh, on our podcast, which you may be listening to, because we know not everyone can join us live in the middle of August, um, you can email Lynn, L-Y-N-N, at Steve Shirley, S-T-E-V-E-S-H-I-R-L-E-Y.com. And uh, you can ask her to send you a personally signed copy uh, with a donation to Autistica. And uh, we thank you for listening. If you are listening, we thank you for being here. If you are here and being present and um, and just, you know, holding space for something that's very, very important. Um, and, and that is female uh, empowerment, uh, technology, transformation, and um, just the gift of hope and uh, taking action and living out a dream and changing the world. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye.